0: we spent the last 20 years building these athletes to hit it further now it's, oh, it's a golf ball thing it's not a damn golf ball thing it's it's that we know more about what makes the golf ball fly and what makes the person work better and now you're just negating that by saying the golf ball is better it's better but it's because the player is willing to play a harder golf ball than they ever did before because they know that distance is more important than being super good with a 30 yard wedge when we're just going to hit more greens if we're hitting shorter clubs in there
1: This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, John. We know a little bit about your background. You're based out of Atlanta. You're teaching here. But before we get into that, tell us just how you got into the game of golf.
0: I, I played a lot of sports. I didn't have the option to go to law school because I didn't like school that much. So I love, I love sports. I'm an only child. So playing golf was a, a, a great sport. I could go play by myself. Born in Northwest England was fascinated by the technical aspects of it and the power of it, basically. So seeing how far a ball went and also understanding what made it do that was pretty fascinating to me. So it just kind of – that all captured me. And then um, the idea of doing it as a job never really kicked in until I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. So I, I loved being around golf. I loved all the pieces of it, the camaraderie, the friendships people you met, and seeing the great golf courses. So there's a lot of things that kind of captured me. And I wasn't, ne- like most people, I was never as good enough as I wanted to be. So coaching was a way to try and kind of bit of self-discovery on what do I need to do to get better and then test it out on the people to see if it actually helped them. So I was an assistant in England. I tried to play. I won a few things. Played with a lot of players when I was practicing two of you, whom became Ryder Cup players, one finished second in the Open. So I was playing with them and not beating them. I then realized that they were really, really good. But, it, but I was like, okay, I can't beat the people I know. Unfortunately, they beat a lot of people that I didn't know as well. I didn't think of it that way. So this kind of late 80s, came to the States in 88, got an offer to work as an assistant in North Carolina and worked for, for a really good player who was a, what I would call an old-school golf pro, played with the members, played tournaments, all that kind of stuff, and uh, learned a lot from him. His, his name was Buck Adams, and I got exposed to a lot of other teachers that came through that club and really got more fascinated with the teaching side of it as I went through I progressed through him. I was thinking about this the other day. Back in the late 80s, you, if you couldn't get a good club job, you taught. Thankfully, that's no longer the case. They, they, almost like there's something wrong with you if you had to teach. Thankfully, that's, the teachers are much more prevalent or, or well-regarded now. Uh, it's almost flipped, basically. And it should be that way, in my opinion, because we need people to encourage people to get better. I mean, we need golfers, obviously. So I've, I've been a coach full-time since, I think, 95, basically. Uh, so huh, a long time. And taught some amazing players and taught nearly every level of play you can think of from absolute beginner, a lot of development players, a lot of high school like you were just talking about your college career a lot of college kids trying to figure out if they're going to play professionally or just doing it for fun so anybody that wants to get better i find interesting because it's it's not obvious what you got to do to get better and it's not easy and we need a we need a guide
1: when you first got into teaching what was your progression as a teacher like because it it can vary by person and a lot of people come in and It takes time to learn how to teach, I know. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: It's a highly, I mean, we know, you know, so much more now, given the technology, given things like this, podcast, YouTube, Instagram, all this information is now being thrown at us, whereas when I was starting, you really had to search for information. There was books, there was some VHS tapes, and I literally got in a car and went and being English was helpful. I went down to Lake Nona. I watched David a coach quite a bit. David was very, very nice. I got to watch him do his thing, which was like unbelievable at that point because he was teaching Nick Price, Nick Faldo, David Frost, all these guys that are winning all the time, to kind of see what they worked on and how hard they worked. So one of the things that struck me early is like, you know, you think you're searching for an answer and you just got to think of this one thing, give somebody this magical answer, and then everything just transforms you two have played at the higher level, you know that's not the case. I mean, you're, you're searching in the mud a little bit, trying to figure out what works, if, if what I'm saying makes sense to you. Are you actually realizing what the heck I'm saying? And, and that's a messy process a lot of times. So I think getting better as a coach, I realize that you just got to get down in there and go do it. It's not just a case of drawing lines on the screen and diagnosing. That's somewhat the easy part. It's how do you then... Get somebody to progress and 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 improve and and hold their hand as they're trying to improve because it's not like this. It's not an it's not a straight up. No matter how good information I give, there's all this going on up and down as far as performance goes. And when you hit different levels, helping the player cope with those levels and things like that is is fascinating to me now.
2: You know, I I know a lot of people who are coaches and some people who have been coaches for a long time, and just by talking to them. Some of them are, I wouldn't say afraid to teach really good players, but it's a much easier way to make a living by coaching players that aren't very good. And some people might stray away from really good players because they're afraid to mess them up or something like that. So what kind of drew you to coaching elite players?
0: Um, I think part of it was I was fascinated by the way they hit it. So it was in, you know it's just fascinating to see somebody hit a golf ball incredibly well and and realizing that no, they' no some of them are exceptional where they just they just don't really know what they're doing and they have to do it, but most of them have worked through the process to get better, so understanding that they generally are just fairly normal people that have been doing extraordinary things and they've been disciplined to do these things over a long period of time. so I think the, the biggest thing when you're dealing with a good player is A, you can't think too much about this is a guy's career. I had one here yesterday that, you know, it's it's literally how he pays his bills. So you you kind of have to, you sense that, but you are trying not to dwell there. And you have to be willing to say you're wrong. Like if you do something wrong, you you can't have your ego such that you're not willing to say, hey, I, I whiffed on that one. Let's kind of back out, start again, or maybe we're not on the same page with this so trying to really figure out what they truly need to do which honestly is easier now than it ever has been with the equipment we have to measure but then being okay telling somebody something so i mean truly as a coach at a tour event you do choke sometimes i mean literally you're like shit i know what i want to say but like i just is this the right time to say it how is the player going to do it is how uptight is the player and, and you know, what people don't realize at tour events, you're not just standing there saying good shot. You are full on lesson giving, coaching, trying to make them perform better. And um, years ago, I told people, look, you, teaching tour players is difficult or elite players is difficult. They're pretty darn good at doing what you ask them to do. So you, you kind of have to kind of stay, you know, give them some information and then, okay, what do we, how's that going to go? And kind of have your next move in your head. Because pretty quickly they can tell you, yeah, nay, that's, that's working or not working. And so, you, you know, for me, having all this technology is great to be able to absolutely measure to a pretty high level. Then I know, look, we're, we're on the right path. We need to push harder or we just need to figure a different way to say it. But we're going the right direction. And, and that was one of the things that technology really helped me with is, is like having that commitment that what I'm trying to get done is the correct thing.
2: Yeah. So you you talk about using technology and I saw on your website you use, you know, TrackMan, Force Plates, K Vest, all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of interested to hear your progression in using technology. I know you mentioned you started working under what you would call an old school pro. So has your approach to technology changed over the years? Dramatically.
0: Yeah. I, I, I bought a video recorder in the late 80s. People won't know what it was, but it was just like a you know VHS with a a mini eight Sony camera with it, and uh, and that was technology back then, and nobody else had that. That was kind of cutting edge, but it was still my interpretation of what I saw. And if you look at it one day, you see something. You look at it another day, you see something. If you see a player in between, you start to see those things in the player's swing. So that really wasn't measuring. And then mid two thousands got involved with TPI and they had all this 3D motion capture, which truly was measuring. So it took out my view of what was happening. It actually gave me hard data and then TrackMan came around in the late 2000s. That was great for the golf ball. So now we truly were defining what the ball was doing, what was making it curve, what was making it spin, all those type of things. So it's it's been a real progression and it's been very much my search for answers because if you guys came in as good players, I'm not a good enough bullshit to be able to tell you, okay, this is what I believe and I just believe it. Like I want to be able to understand what's happening and then build from there. So it's my search a lot of times to get better answers for myself. Because when you're dealing with a aspiring player of any level, you're putting your heart and soul into it. You don't want to kind of be blasé with your answers in my opinion. Uh, so that the tech really helps. What
1: happens now. when sometimes you can't Are there times you can't seem to find the answer for somebody?
0: Yes. Yeah, there are. I would say that more the timing of it, like, you know, unfortunately, I I listened to this thing with Elon Musk the other day and talking about, I'm not comparing myself to him for a second, but they were talking about, like, he was asking about people say to him, you know, it must be great to be that smart. And he goes, yes and no. Like he said, I don't just have good ideas. I have good ideas. I have ideas constantly. Like, it doesn't switch off and so you're occasionally those ideas are great and so for me with coaching it's like it's not a 9 to 5 job like i'm i'm coaching a lot and then at night i'm getting my phone blown up with videos and i'm thinking about things what went well what didn't go well how could i do something i see something later either watching another coach coach or looking online at something talk to a lot of phd's or i'm like what's actually happening and then that helps me go back and kind of think about you know what that that piece of information really fits with what this player was doing. So it it's you do get stuck. I mean, if you if you didn't get stuck, you'd probably stop doing what you're doing. So th- there is that, but hopefully you're you more often than not, you're you're batting pretty well, if you will, on average, to get things correct. And if you're stuck, then be okay saying, I've got enough of a reputation now that I can say, look, hold on, I need a minute to to figure this out. As a young coach, you're like Oh my god! I've got to have the answer, but no, you got to you know give yourself a moment.
1: There. That makes sense. You mentioned earlier being at a tour event and working with players there, and you know trying to figure out when the right time to say something is, whether you should say something. Let's talk a little bit about being a coach at a tour event. What does it look like? We've talked with players from the player perspective a lot of times. You know, a lot of times like Monday they're playing nine holes, Tuesday they're playing nine holes. Wednesday depends on pro-ams, all that kind of stuff, what they're doing with their day. And then Thursday through Saturday, they get started. From a tour coach perspective, what do you do with them Monday through Sunday? What days are you there? What days are you working with them? And what specifically are you focused on?
0: Everybody I've worked with in that situation, we've we've generally been somewhere else first. We've had more of a deep dive on what we want to do, where they think they are with things. What I see is the issue, working on those issues. And so there's somewhat of a tour event you're either monitoring or just trying to get them back to where they need to be. Uh, Stress is incredible. It tends to make people irrational. So sometimes you know it's pretty good, and they're just not liking what's going on. For most of the players I coached, a number of them were in the pro-ams, but a lot of them aren't. If you're a rookie on tour, it's incredibly difficult you Monday, generally, because you're not flying private, is a travel day. Uh, Tuesday, you're trying to play at least 18 and do some practice tee work because they haven't seen the golf course a lot of times before. And then Wednesday, if they're not in the pro-am, they can't get on the golf course at all. So that will be a day to kind of refresh and work on things. One of the guys, Brendan Todd, I coached a long time ago when he went from I was with him when he was on what was the web, I think, at the time. So he won on the web, got on the PGA Tour, got in a few events on the PGA Tour while he was still on the web. And then the next year, was fully exempt on the PGA Tour. And Brandon isn't one of the longer hitters. He, he wasn't one of the longer hitters. We were just starting to get track, man, so we were working with some of those things. But it, he, there was a stretch of time in the summertime where Monday he's traveling, Tuesday we're at the event, Great weather, beautiful, running, dry, perfect for him to score well. Tuesday night, Wednesday, absolute deluge. So he hasn't played the course before, and now he's playing Thursday in completely different conditions than he's ever played that course before in. And he's not a bum. So it was like a perfect storm for crap that you just can't do anything about. So we'd be working on technique. He was not a high-tech kind of guy. We, we need to get the driver better and things like that. But really, it was trying to learn the course very quickly on Tuesday, do the, some of the work that needed to be done. And I'd stay and watch on Thursday and Friday and warm them up. But generally, by that point, they're, they're either in a good spot and he was pretty self sufficient or they're not. Casey Wittenberger worked with Casey for a while and he was, he'd done it a few times. So he was much more on his own routine. He wasn't going to change his routine. And for those people that know Casey, know that Casey is going to do what Casey wants to do. So that was very much a case of getting uncomfortable with the swing and then, and then going. I've been at a few US Opens with him and bigger events where we're there longer into the week. But it, it, it is way more coaching, I think, on the practice team than people, people realize. Some of that is just they're under pressure. They want reassurance of what's going on. Sometimes it's just they're not hitting it well and they've got to find something.
1: One of the things that I've noticed on your website, you talk about you've worked you've worked with a lot of really good players, and something that seems that you've built around that is having a team. I kind of look at a lot of times golf coaches and you know your ancillary people as doctors, and a lot of times it can be difficult because if you go to the doctor, at least in the US, like the cardiologist says it's a neuro- neurologist problem. The neurologist says it's the cardiologist problem. And with golf and with swing coaches, sometimes your swing coach will say, hey, you need to work on this with your trainer. And sometimes the trainer sends you back to the swing coach and it's good for them to be able to communicate and know what's going on with players. And so you a lot of times students either have to build their own team around them, or if you're lucky and find the right coach who has that mentality, there's a team already built around you. And it seems like Uh, what you've built with Fusion ATL is something like that, where players can go and essentially have a one-stop shop to get better and have trusted individuals there. Tell us about your building of that.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit like I said with technology. It was based on frustration, quite honestly. Um, So it was was built on frustration because somebody comes to me. For instance, you said you got hurt. I, I don't just want to take your word for what you're telling me how you're hurt or why you got hurt. I need to be able to have people around me that I trust that I can get their actual medical advice on what's going on. Most guys in general have no idea what's going on in their body, and their idea of how their body's doing is how do they feel right now. They're not really going to do a deep dive on anything or what's going on. So we, the testing mechanism, understanding what somebody can do, what they can't do, You know, everybody wants to shoot lower scores, and then it's a puzzle. How do you do that? Like, do you need to hit it further? Do you need to hit it better, straighter, whatever? Then I've got to figure out, okay, what's missing in this puzzle? If somebody isn't swinging fast enough, if they're swinging 105 miles an hour, saying they want to play the PGA Tour, even back 15 years ago, highly unlikely. So it's like, okay, we need more horsepower, and that's not a swing technique thing. Back in the, you know, late 80s, 90s, whatever, they'd be like, I just need to get it more on plane or whatever. Now we just know that's not the case. You, you need to have a body that's producing more raw, actual horsepower and then getting out to the end of the club, getting it to the distal end. And so I, I needed experts around me. I met a guy who's its still my business partner in Fusion. He, he and I were coaching a corporate guy who was a scratch golfer. So he was working out with him physically. I was doing the technical stuff. And I said to Todd, like, if I knew what he was doing prior to me giving information, You know, I give better information basically than Tesla, but that's easy. I can just do a physical screen. on like, what's a physical screen? This is like late 90s, early 2000s. And so he's like, yeah, we do it all the time for different sports, and I can tell you what's going on with his body. You tell me what you need stronger or what you think you need stronger, and I'll, I'll get it stronger for you. So we were doing that, and then when TPI came along, so we were kind of, you know, doing that from like 98 through 03 or 04, and then Titleist came along with TPI. And so we were kind of telling people you need to do this. And I didn't have Titleist behind my name saying this is what needs to happen. So it was a bit kind of like trying to convince people. And then Titleist, opened Titleist Performance Institute, I'm on the board with them. Dave Phillips, one of the good buddies there, and Greg Rose. And now they put legitimacy behind what we were trying to do and, and bringing together all these different elements of testing players, telling what their potential speed was, so if they're incredibly athletic and potentially all have all this power, but they're not getting power to the golf ball, that's a golf pro problem. And if they're doing a great job sequence-wise, swing-wise, and the body's not there, then that's I know that's a trainer issue. And so we, we kind of de- tag team it. And one of the things that was interesting was established tour players that need way more physical therapy than they do working out stuff during the season. They're doing a bit of both now. But there aren't many trainers, if you will, pure trainers. The trainers that are out there doing well have a very strong either actual medical background or very strong connections in the medical world. So they're looking at both sides. So all of us have to kind of do a bit of everything now. But if I really have a problem, I I try and find one of the medical experts, first of all. I want to know, you know, for instance, with you, why was that issue occurring? Unless you had an accident, there was something physically going on in your body that was creating those issues. So I need to know that as a coach.
1: That makes sense. You mentioned guys these days need a lot more physical therapy help while out on the road. Tell us a little bit about why that is and what what you've seen people do to try to remedy their issues.
0: Yeah, so soft tissue works really, really important. There are some chiropractors out there. Greg Rose is a chiropractor by training. So you think about golf, you're playing a one-sided sport with acceleration primarily towards a the target. There is acceleration to the trail side as well. And there's braking mechanisms within the body. And, and basically, anytime you grow a muscle, you're tearing the muscle fibers. So the muscle fibers go from ideally like that to getting all knotted. So by growing muscles inherently, you're going to create what we call adhesions. So you're creating these knots. And the trainer cannot get those out unless he's training soft tissue work. So a lot of times we, we have to re-lengthen or get the knots out of the muscles to make the muscle go the right length. Um, so if you go to a good PT, you go in there complaining about a shoulder issue and they'll start looking at your foot or something like that. That might be a little extreme, but they're trying to figure out where is the issue come from? And without getting too negative on the U.S. healthcare system, which is phenomenal, Uh, I grew up in England, so we can't say anything about healthcare in England. But doctors are trained to look at the symptom. You go in there saying, "I've got a shoulder pain." They will look at the shoulder, they will evaluate the shoulder. They're trying to get the pain out of the shoulder. That's not what we can do on tour. We have to understand where is that coming from. Obviously, if the pain is severe, we're trying to get rid of the pain. But as a coach and as a PT, you want to understand what part of the body is not working correctly to support that area of the body because a player needs to perform if they're if they're on the disabled list in this sport they're not making money so we have to really keep the player spinning or the plate spinning so you're always trying to figure out where's the issue coming from and i think that mindset has really helped me with coaching too so when i look at a player i've noticed when i'm coaching with other coaches who haven't done all the physical stuff they see the golf club, they see the club face, and they're trying to affect that. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing the issue as to why the ball is doing what it's doing. I want to know where is that issue coming from. And I think that that level of looking at things comes more from how a great PT looks at things. You you're complaining about this, but they're looking at your entire body and they're trying to figure out where is the issue initially. If I correct that, all these other pieces will get better. And so that's where I find more the tour level coaches are and the PTs the trainers out there the soft tissue workers all that kind of stuff
1: that's perfect as far as when players are out there you know it as you mentioned like they need more physical therapy but when they get back home let's say let's say they're we're coming towards the off season like they've been they've been traveling for a while and now they're back home we get a little bit of a downtime depending on what tour it is it it can vary as far as from a physical perspective What do you have your people work on them with? And then from a golf swing perspective, is that the time that you're thinking about making more significant changes if they need to make it? Or when do you start making changes with players in golf swings?
0: I would have told you years ago, it would have been more like structure. We're going to do it in the off season. We're going to have a really deep dive. I would say it's all the time now. You're like the guy was up yesterday. Alex, he's gone off to play in Brazil and uh, chile the next few weeks so we were looking at uh, stuff on force plates trying to figure out where is he relative to where we tested him before so somewhat it's the timing of their schedule but you, you cannot be afraid to jump in if you see something as long as the player's on board with it they've got really really good bs detectors so if you were just kind of tell them something because you think they need a cheerleader without being too graphic one of the european tour players years ago told me he didn't need an fn cheerleader he needed someone to Tell him what to do. So it's like, okay, you know, you, you want the information. They, they're tuned enough to figure out how to take that information and, and function with it. So I would like to tell you that we're doing everything in the, in the off season. It just depends on how they're playing. And most, most players, which is interesting looking at stats, they make most of their money in like a six- to eight-week span. The problem is we don't know when that six- to eight-week is going to be. So we have to try and prepare them the best all the time and and see kind of how things are evolving and where they are in the whole process Uh, they could be hitting it phenomenally well and just not scoring well you know many many issues as you guys know from playing golf can kick in but there's no right time to do it you just have to kind of see where they are speak up if you think there's an issue listen to what the player is telling you physically our job is to make sure they don't get hurt and then Build performance in there as much as you can. They are working out much harder now in season than they ever used to. They're they you know, we we know with a with having that medical aspect to it and a trainer aspect, they're doing it in such a way that they're not gonna get hurt lifting. And I would say in general, the idea of lifting heavy is much more prevalent now than it ever used to be. It used to be like you're trying to make sure you're lifting like, you know, as, as little as you can in season. Now they're lifting heavy. They're swinging fast. One of the players I coach, he works with me here. He's a great amateur player. He's a trainer. We were together at the U.S. Senior Open this year. He played with Patrick Harrington on Tuesday. And Patrick, I was like, Patrick, what? I've known Patrick a little bit over the years. I was like, what's your workout look like? He goes, I'm hitting golf balls. Like, uh, that's what I do. I hit golf balls and lift heavy stuff. And he literally was ripping it for hours. Uh, I spent time with DeChambeau 18 months ago, and this was Saturday before he went to the LA Open, and he was in Chris Comer's living room hitting balls for two hours, music blaring, ripping it, like trying to get his ball speed over 200. So this is Saturday, so I'm like, hey, Bryson, what's the rest of the week look like? What are you doing? He said, I'm speed training. Like, he's talking like I'm an idiot. Like, why would you ask that question? Clearly, I'm speed training. I said, "Yeah, you you're working this hard every day." He goes, "Yeah, I'm doing this every day this week." I said, "So there's, there's no you know, progressing into the tournament." No, I know how to play golf. I don't need to, you know. I'm going to try and rip it every day, and he missed the cut, of course. And then he won. He won, he won Bay Hill like two weeks later. Uh, yeah, so you know, but that was his progress. He wasn't scared.
1: That is cool. I think that that's a cool development that's happened throughout golf. Is the importance of speed has gotten noticed and the importance of strength has gotten noticed and being an athlete in golf has been it's been shown to be more important than people thought it was when it comes to your players and golf swing a lot of times it's easy to get bogged down in the technical technical isn't necessarily good or bad it just is but a lot of times it's easy for players to maybe get mentally bogged down on that where do you stand as far as encouraging your players understanding of technique and then also going out to the course you know, in a tournament and being able to hit the golf ball while maybe thinking about technique or not thinking about technique?
0: I think depending on the player, a lot of them need uh, reassurance that the technique is good. And then once the technique is good, then they can progress more into actually playing golf. If any of your clients are not looking at stats or understanding like all that stuff, whatever level they want to get to, I, I really, really encourage that because then you're seeing is the technique actually progressing in a good way. When I was growing up, there was a sexiness around being able to curve the ball, control the ball, blah, blah, blah. All the outlier sounds good in the grill, talking about it afterwards. But really looking at what actually works is is tremendous from looking at the stats. So I, I don't understand any player anymore trying to hit multiple shots. Uh, if you watch Scotty Scheffler play over the weekend, he basically looks like he's hitting a bit of a slice off the tee, and he's very one-dimensional with his irons. And he, he, he won the biggest tournament of the year so far, and he, he led in strokes gained approach, trying to be pretty one-dimensional. Whereas years ago, we were talking about how you know Tiger's got that nine windows, he can hit all the shots. And he became a a poorer driver of the golf ball as a result, so we have such great ways to see is the technique actually affecting the performance uh, and and measuring those things. One of the hardest things I have to do now is deal with college coaches telling players of, of what you know they should be doing and and how they should be getting the ball closer from certain distances and things like that so i'm I'm generally way more conservative on the shots I'm trying to get players hit than I ever would have been. It almost sounds defeatist to me, quite honestly, on, you know, there's a back flag and it's in the left corner. We should be going at this flag. And it's like, no, just hit it to the right of the hole 15 feet. If you happen to pull it, you've got a two-footer. Worst-case scenario, a four on a four is pretty good and a three on a three is pretty good. So much more of that approach.
2: That's that's beautiful and I couldn't agree more on that last statement. But like say you have a player that says he's struggling to maybe take his game from the range to the course. I know that's like a common thing that a lot of players say or they're like struggling to get, you know, just a lot out of their rounds. What are some of the things that you would tell them to do um either on the range or off the range to Remedy that problem. Yeah, uh,
0: I think that um, we fail at some point. So, my goal is all to get players failing at a higher level. And I hate to be brutally honest, but the golf course is brutally honest to you at some point. So, if somebody's saying, Hey, you know, I'm pretty good on the range, but I'm not good on the golf course. And I'll say, Oh, you're good on the range. Okay, let's look. Let me show you some data from an elite player on the range. Like, you're not that good. Like, you hit good shots, but you're not that good. So, like, being realistic with where they are on the range and, and literally trying to, like, on the simulator just switched off, but in the simulator saying, okay, I want you to come in, Cooper, and hit 10 shots with a 7-iron. I want you the same intent on 10 shots. Nothing changes. I don't want you reacting to the last shot you hit. I don't want you looking at the last shot and trying to say, okay, I pushed that a bit. I want to draw it, blah, 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 whatever it might be. Try and hit 10 shots exactly the same way, and let's take a look at that grouping of 10 shots. And then generally, with players of your ability, you'll see a grouping that looks fairly narrow this way, but wider this way than it is distance control. And I said, you know, you had the same intent indoors with no crowds around you, no wind, perfect light, and you hit them with whatever that spread is. So if that's in this situation with only the pressure of me standing there on you, then don't try and do something different on the golf course so that's where I think we get into trouble that's when people say I can't take it to the range you're you're practicing on the range and you're doing a good job on the range and you go to the golf course now you try and hit a shot that is way beyond your skill set and even if you think you can lie to me and say no I can pull the shot off you cannot you can't lie to yourself and that you know from playing tournaments both of you tournaments find you out and my dad told me years ago which I didn't understand what the heck he was saying he was really good in stu- school and he's like, look, tests are pretty merely trying to find out what you know. And I was like, that makes no sense. But it's, it's true. It's like a tournament test. He's trying to find out, are you capable of performing at this level or not? And then too often, because I was the same way, you get feelings hurt about performing badly. And so we go sulk. Whereas really, if you went and said, okay, I didn't do these things well. I need to assess those things and figure out how to change them. Whether it be the coaches and give me correct information or I can't do it. I've got to assess those things and see, is it realistic for me to get better at that aspect? So like some of the kids I coach now, they're driving it phenomenally because I truly believe driving is so, so important. And they may not be as good a wedge player as they want to be, but I'm like, look, if I can get you to have wedge in your hand more often, you don't need to be a phenomenal wedge player. You need to be a good wedge player. But if you're hitting wedges four, five, six times around. A, you're going to make a lot of pars, and you're going to have plenty of birdie opportunities. So trying to get them to have a reasonable approach on the golf course. Billy, who just walked in and out, he was a low amateur at the senior open a couple of years ago. And he's played. he played professional and turned amateur again. Now he's a senior amateur. He's like top 20 in the world at the moment. One thing we've worked on a lot is let the randomness play out. So we don't know in the round when the good shots and bad shots are going to come. What happens with a lot of us is we hit a bad shot early, we hit the panic button, and we start trying to go, what the heck am I doing? You're capable of hitting that shot, and you're capable of hitting a phenomenal shot, honestly, we don't know where they're going to come in the round. And so the best you can, you've got to kind of flatline it emotionally and go, I'm quite capable of holding a shot, I'm quite capable of hitting a shot in the trees, and I'm not quite sure where they're going to be. I'm trying to aim appropriately so the trees don't hurt me or the water doesn't hurt me. But if I hit one in the trees, I've got to be like, okay, that's that's one of my bad shots. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. It sounds easy sitting here talking about it, but under stress, the player yells at you because he's hitting it in the trees and the guy with him's puring it. When actually when you're watching from the outside, the other guy's hitting shitty shots. They're only the player's only remembering the great shots the other guy hit, and he's remembering all the bad shots he hit. And that's for whatever reason, that mindset gets us better. It also hinders us too. And, and you guys know you played enough golf. People are either really, really smart or really dumb. Um, so we want the smart ones to understand the game, and the dumb ones don't know what the game is, so they're oblivious. It's great. <laughs> I don't coach many dumb players.
1: I get that. I think that, that, that mentality is a great mentality to have. I know that that's benefited me as I've, I've been playing more. As I've gotten older, a lot of times you get less time to practice, and you realize, hey, You know, it is just going to be a mixed bag. You don't know what you're pulling out of the bag. So you got to choose your target appropriately and accept the outcome. And it's made golf a lot easier and a lot more fun. And one of the things you mentioned there that was interesting is, you know, we got to get back to the end of the round and figure out what to work on. And you mentioned stats. Tell us about what kind of stats that you're having your players collect during tournaments and what you're working on with them after taking a look at those stats.
0: Yeah, the beautiful thing is if you're coaching PJ Tour, which I'm not at the moment, or Corn Ferry, which I am, they, have, they get the stats kept for them, which is fantastic because what happens with players is if it's a good round, they'll post the stats. If it's a bad round, they won't. And if they're a bit pissed off or they're tired, they won't post anything. So compliance is really, really difficult. I, I've used a really good, good stat program called the Nova Golf and it's, it's phenomenal, but it's very, very detailed. And most players just stop doing it because it's, it's too much. So Thomas is trying to find easier ways to post the key stats. Uh, for me, the biggest stat is I don't worry too much about fairways and regulation. I want to know, can they reach the green from where they are with their drive? So I'd rather them be, not rather, but I'm okay with them being in the rough further down the field than I am being in the fairway like playing for the middle of the fairway, that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm trying to keep them between the trees, or, or if there's hazard left or out of bounds left, I'm okay with right trees relative than out of bounds. It's it's maybe a quarter shot versus one shot. And then greens in regulation is king for me. It, I know if somebody's hitting, you know, one of the kids I coach, he just sent me some stuff from the college tournament play this week. He He played well, didn't score great, but he had, 15 greens one day, I think, and 12 greens the other two days. In wind and cold, that's pretty darn good. Um, I think he made some silly decisions in other areas, or again, possibly was pushing more than he needed to. But those are the stats I look at. And then, you know, a three-foot putt on tour basically is at 99%, I think. So be competent there, but if you're the best three-footer putter in the world, you're not gaining anything. You know, so it's taking one shot for most of those players. So what, are you going to drip it in the left side versus the right side every time? Who cares? It's going in the hole. So work on the area between, say, 10 and 20 feet, because if you're doing the, the, the aiming correctly, you're going to have a lot of shots into the, the first putt. Is going to be 20 to 25, 30 feet, no matter what. So you better be darn good at lag putting, putting and you better be good at trying to hit the greens, somewhere on the green. Brilliant. Um, the Trying to hit it below the hole I don't subscribe to it at all
1: I with that, I wish we I wish we could dive deeper into the below the hole cuz that's something that we agree with and I think that's something that's a that's an idea that's been pervasive in golf kind of like artistic shots that like it's it sounds good it sounds good to talk yeah. about that I w- wish we had time to dive in I know you got to stop here coming up so we'll sit we'll ask you the last question that we ask all of our guests which For you, it'll be two parts because you're a golf coach. One is if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that be? And then because you're a golf coach, if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that one thing be?
0: Same thing, actually. When I grew up, they were told the woods are full of long hitters. And whoever said that first, I wish I could find them and pull their fingernails out or something. As a kid, just try and rip it. I had a 14-year-old in here this morning. And I was like, "Do you like hitting it straight or, or far?" And he's like, oh, "I like hitting the fairways." I was like, "No, don't don't do that. Just I can." So I was at Titleist a few years ago, and they said, "Do straighter, later." Like teach them how to hit it straighter, later. that the, they're in a window where before they can build muscle strength, neurologically they can build speed. And so speed, it's annoying to me that now we're talking about the golf ball being rolled back because we spent the last twenty years. Building these athletes to hit it further now. Ah, it's a golf ball thing. It's not a damn golf ball thing. It's it's that we know more about what makes the golf ball fly and what makes the person work better. And now you're just negating that by saying the golf ball's better. It's better, but it's because the player is willing to play a harder golf ball than they ever did before because they know that distance is more important than being like super good with a 30 yard wedge when we're just going to hit more greens if we're hitting shorter clubs in there. So I would tell. Every junior, I still to have fun myself. I'm trying to hit it harder myself at my age. I just, I just love that. What I've found with the simulators is even when you're swinging faster, the ball isn't going offline much more. So you're either short and crooked or you're long and crooked, relatively. Let's get long and crooked. And, and nobody quit because they're hitting it further that I've found yet.
1: That is perfect. Well, if people want to find you on social media, reach out to you, where can they do
0: that? I've got a, um, a website, Tattersall Golf, and uh, Instagram, Tattersall Golf. I'm really excited about where golf is in a lot of ways and coaching is. And I'm trying to find better ways to help more people, essentially. I grew up in northern England, moved to America because I couldn't find any good information. We don't have to do that now. We can, we can learn wherever. And I think it's an exciting time in golf to, to help more people and, and get them enjoying this great game. Clearly, both of you do. And I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly and got me around the world doing great things and fun things. So, uh, the more things like that we can do, I think is just a, a great, great thing.
1: Perfect. Well, be sure to give John a follow. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at The Tournament Code and on Twitter at Tournament Code. As always, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf.